Life has its ups and downs. Life can be fun. Life is sometimes hectic. And life is full of choices. Welcome to Venture, the podcast that brings the biblical truth to the ventures that we face in this world and live in today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Venture Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Wills, lead pastor at Chandler Acres Church in Bellevue, Nebraska, and it's so nice to be with you. Uh, today, I've got a privilege of being able to, uh, again, share uh, a message that was given this last Sunday from my friend, Pastor Adam Taylor. Uh, he filled in uh, the pulpit for me uh, this weekend because my congregation was so gracious enough to uh, give my wife and I uh, a little weekend retreat getaway, a surprise to us from last Sunday. And uh, it was so nice to be able to just get away and and everybody kind of filled in for the things that we do. And, and uh, it was just a pleasure to, to be able to do that. Well, in the meantime, obviously, Adam spoke for us. And he gave a, a great message on the Good Samaritan. And so uh, this week, uh, our podcast is from his message uh, just this past Sunday. So here you go. Good morning. How's everybody doing on this beautiful Sunday morning? All right. Well, as many of you guys know, Pastor Dan is away this morning. Uh, I want to thank you guys for just loving on the pastor and giving him the opportunity to, to get away. But uh, uh, with that in mind, you get me today. Amen. So thank you so much for, for letting me be here this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we are going to be looking at one of the parables of Jesus. Now, as many of you guys know, Jesus is someone who I would call a master teacher. He went around, he preached for many years, he spent much of his life just teaching. And one of the main ways that he taught us was uh, with these little stories that we call parables. In the Gospel, there is roughly 30 different parables that Jesus taught us contained in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this morning, we're going we're to look at some of those. And these are really simple, beautiful stories for us to learn from. They're usually colorful. They're usually very time-sensitive. Uh, so the people in that day, this would have been something that would have very much affected them. And they are things that we can remember very, very well. One of the shortest parables of Jesus actually comes to us in Matthew. And I just want to kind of give you an illustration of it. Matthew chapter 10. It says, again, this is Jesus speaking, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who looks for fine pearls. And when he finds one of great value, he goes out, sells everything he had, and he bought it. Beautiful little stories, right? Easy to remember. But one of the difficult things is they're not always easy to understand. Which is kind of one of the purposes of parables. They're meant to be thought provoking. When you hear a parable, it should make you go, ooh, well, that's very easy to remember. That's very colorful. I bet it means, it could mean, not really sure what it means. And that should not be too surprising to us. Amen? This morning, we are going to look at what I think is one of the most popular parables that all that Jesus gave us. It's a parable that I have heard throughout my entire life. It's a parable that I'm sure many of you can recite to me because you've heard it so many times. It is a parable I feel that is very comfortable and that people both in the church and outside the church, believers and non-believers, are familiar with it, and that's the parable of the Good Samaritan. However, because this is such a well-known parable, in my opinion, this is one of the most misunderstood parables that Jesus gave us. 
I'm sure there are many of you that have heard the parable of the Good Samaritan and just think to yourself, what is the purpose of the parable? I'm sure you've heard it many, many times in church and out of church, but what is the purpose of the parable? This morning, I want to look at the purpose of the parable, and I think it's confusing, and for Christians, we shouldn't be surprised at this. If you go to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 10 through 13, the disciples of Jesus actually come to Him on occasion, and they say to Him, "Um, Teacher, why do you speak to people in parables? And He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, so that they who have will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away. This I say, so that I speak to them in parables, so that in seeing they do not see, and in hearing they do not understand. When we understand that the world recites Scripture to us, and when the world uses parables of Jesus, we should not be shocked that they miss the main point of it. Because in seeing, we don't always see. Amen? This morning, we are going to dive in the purpose of the parable of the Good Samaritan. What does it really mean? Why did Jesus give us this parable? So if you would, what we're going to do is we're going to read in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Then we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Blah, 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 blah. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer after that. And then we're going to dive into this text. Amen? If you would, I'll be reading out of the New King James this morning. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up to test him, that's Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read of it? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and you shall love the neighbor as yourself. He said to him, You have answered this rightly. Do this, and you will live. But then he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered him by saying, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. And he was stripped of his clothes and wounded and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road and passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite looked at him and passed by on the other side as well. But a certain Samaritan... As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him? who fell among thieves. This lawyer uh, says, the one who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Would you pray with me? Kind of grace, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to get together today, God. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to open your word. We ask, God, that you would just make our hearts open to the Spirit's speaking this morning, God. That we would hear your truth, God, and that we'd understand what you have for us today. In your name, amen. So we see that Jesus here is in the Gospel of Luke. He's been out preaching for about seven or so chapters. He's been out for a little while. He's already kind of got a name for himself. People already know who Jesus is. He's been teaching. He's got followers. And at this point, even though it's early on in his ministry, he is already causing issues among the Sadducees and the Pharisees 
and the religious leaders of his day. So we see here in the Gospel of Luke that a lawyer, the Bible says, comes up to test him. Now, some of your Bibles will actually say an expert of the law. And we're not 100% sure who this man is, but if you read your historians and your different uh, uh, Bible teachers, it basically says that this is most likely someone who spends a good majority of the day reading Scripture and judging over cases. This is someone who's very well educated, meaning he's literate. This is someone who knows what the Bible says, and most likely someone that argues cases, meaning that people will come to this individual with grievances about another person or another situation, and he, being an expert of the law, being a lawyer, will be able to judge and say, well, this is what the Bible says on this situation. So it's someone who knows the Scriptures. He comes to Jesus to test Jesus, and he asks a very beautiful question. And if it was a genuine question, it would melt our hearts. Amen? Teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? This is something I think Jesus went around and talked a lot about. This is a question that not only this man, but other men in the Scriptures asked Jesus. You have the rich young ruler in Matthew, comes to Jesus, asks him the same question. You have Nicodemus, comes to Jesus, asks him the same question. There are people today that come to Jesus and ask the exact same question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I go to heaven? How do I know that at the end of the road, heaven is going to be where I'm at? Jesus, being wise, looks at the man and says, well, you are an expert of the law. What does the law say? And he answers, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. If you study the Scriptures, there's a time where people come to Jesus to test Him, and they say, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus gives the exact same answer. This actually comes from the Old Testament. We're going to have uh, Mr. Corey throw it up. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, where we read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then in Leviticus 19.18, we read, Do not sing vengeance or bear grievance against one another among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself, as, uh, for I am the Lord. He pulls from the Old Testament Scriptures, and we can see that both in the teaching of Jesus in this passage and other passage, that the entirety of the law can be summed up in these two commands. You've got the Ten Commandments. If you study the Penitent, which is the first five books of the Bible, there are over 600 laws. But if you summed it all down, compressed it to its very finest point, it would be love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus looked at this, as you can, if you follow the pages of the Bible. Do this, Jesus says, and you will live. But then the man, again, an expert of the law, a lawyer, seeks to justify himself, and he asks a second question. But who's my neighbor? I want to pause there, because to this question is where we get the parable of the Good Samaritan. Beloved, I don't want you to answer, but I want you to ponder in your mind. I want to ask you the question this morning, who's your neighbor? Is the neighbor just the guy that lives in the house next to your house or across the street? Is the neighbor someone that you see at church or outside events? Would a neighbor be a coworker? Is a neighbor someone that you interact with, perhaps on a daily or weekly basis? Is a neighbor someone that you see as you go to work but never speak to? Would a neighbor be someone that has wronged you? Would you consider an opponent or an adversary of yours a neighbor? 
if there was someone in your life that you would classify as an enemy, would they also bear the name neighbor? Seeking to justify himself, this man, a Jew, an expert of the law, asked the question to Jesus to trip him up. And he asked the question, but who is my neighbor? The purpose of the parable of the Good Samaritan is to address this individual's questions. Primarily the latter one, but also the first one. So Jesus gives us the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it starts out setting the scene. It starts out with Jerusalem and Jericho. Now Jerusalem is a beautiful city even today. It is literally known as the city on a hill. And if you go there even today, you'll see that Jerusalem is literally on a hill. It's located high above sea level. So if you go to Jerusalem from any side of it, you literally go up to Jerusalem. Now Jericho is a very prominent city back in that day. It's still a popular city today. Jericho is roughly 15 to 17 miles from Jerusalem. And surprisingly, while Jerusalem is above sea level, Jericho is below sea level. So if you go from Jerusalem to Jericho, guess what? You literally go down to Jericho. And there is a prominent road that still exists today that connects these two cities. And it would have been very common and very expected that all those who heard Jesus tell this parable would think of this. I'm going to probably mess it up. It's called the Road of Adenum. That's probably pronounced wrong. But it literally translates to the blood path. This was a path between Jerusalem and Jericho that was often narrow at times, windy at times, had steep drop-offs at times, had cliffs at times. And it would have been common for people to think of this road and think of danger would not have been uncommon for people to be robbed on this path. So many commentaries say this is probably what Jesus is speaking about without question when He sets the scene of the parable of the Good Samaritan. And on this somewhat treacherous road that would have been traveled by many, we have this individual who's beaten, who's robbed, and who's left half dead on the side of the road. And everyone, to set the scene, it was a dark and stormy night. Crow calling in the background, Right? Ooh, and everybody just shudders. And then, by chance, a priest comes by. And all the people hearing this goes, Oh, thank goodness. We've got this guy who's just beaten and left for dead. Who's going to save him? Oh, we have a priest. Oh, excellent. We have a priest. Someone who's well-respected. Someone who, who knows the Bible. Who spends all day reading the Scriptures. Praying for people. Offering sacrifices. Someone who we would say is without question a good person. To maybe put it in modern day context, a preacher comes by. Oh, thankfully. And the preacher sees this man and goes on the other side of the road. Now the parable of the Good Samaritan is, is not a real story. It's one that Jesus made up to make a point. But nevertheless, I'm sure many of you since you've heard this have heard the excuses that people have built for the priest. Perhaps there were other robbers around and the priest himself didn't want to get mugged, so he just passes this man by. Or perhaps the priest had a job to do and not knowing if the man was actually dead, he didn't want to touch the man because then he would be ceremonially unclean and could not do his duty. So the priest respectfully leaves the man where he's at. Maybe. Nevertheless, we see he walks by. Following this, we have a Levite that comes takes note of the man, and does the same. Passes on the other side. Now, a Levite is an individual from the tribe of Levi. 
Mainly what you need to know about this is men from the tribe of Levi were primarily people that worked in the temple. They could have been priests, but this individual most likely was not because he wasn't labeled as a priest. But he's probably someone that worked in the temple. He's probably someone that read the scripture, that would pray on behalf of other people. He probably handled the day-to-day stuff, the, the bookkeeping. Maybe he took care of the building. Maybe he managed teams as they did various things. Nevertheless, being a Levite, he would have had connections to the temple. He would have been well-respected, well-educated. And if the priest didn't do anything, surely the Levite would. He would have been a good man. But he passes by. And then we have a Samaritan. Now the Samaritan stops, has compassion, pours oil and wine, puts the man on his own donkey, dresses his wounds, takes him to the inn, and stays with him the night. And then when he gets up, he gives the innkeeper two denarii, which is a day's wages. Two days' wages. How much do you make in a day? Think about that. Two days' wages to someone that he doesn't know. And then he gives the guy a blank check. Young people, both here and online, I want to I I let you know something. In the adult world, you never give a blank check, amen? All the adults, amen, right? You never go in and say, well, how much is it going to cost? You know what? It doesn't matter. Just fix it. You never say that, right? Dumb. Don't ever say that. You go, how much does it cost? You make sure you get that dollar amount, right? Otherwise, sky's the limit. But this man leaves a blank check. Whatever you spend on this guy, when I come back, I'm going to make it right. In the days of Judaism, when people are hearing Jesus preach this parable, share this parable, and to the man listening, I want to ask you again, who is your neighbor? Because Jews had a very, very clear line as to who their neighbor was. To a Jew, in a very generic answer, a neighbor is someone that believes what you believe. Possibly from the same tribe as you. Same people group. In the days of Jesus, Jews did not like several people. One of the main people they didn't like were the Romans. If you study the Bible, the Jews thought the Messiah was coming specifically to overthrow the Romans. Would an expert of the law consider a Roman to be a neighbor? If you read commentaries and study, they would say no. They wouldn't. Rome was enemies. They wouldn't want anything to do with Rome. If a Roman came up to a Jew, they would say, that is not my neighbor. What about a Gentile, a pagan? They would not consider them neighbors either. And a Samaritan would be even less down. See, Samaritans, you had the the Babylonians came in in the Old Testament. You can read this, Jeremiah and Daniel laid siege to Israel. Israel was sent into exile. They came back together. They formed two great nations, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And from that also came the Samaritans. The Samaritans were Jews that actually went to the region of Samaria, intermingled with the people there, and basically made a new religion. They took the Pentateuch, which was the first five books of the Bible. They kept those. They got rid of everything else. And then they mixed in the Samaritan gods, and they formed a new religion. To a Jewish individual, they would look at a Samaritan, and they would want nothing to do with them. Because they've perverted their faith. This is why when we read things like the woman at the well, which was a Samaritan woman, Jesus is sitting there and she comes up to him and he starts to speak to her and she answers him saying, what are you doing? Do you know who I am? I am a Samaritan. Why are you talking to me? Because in the days of Jesus, they did not. They drew lines in the sand because they weren't considered neighbors. Beloved, I ask you, who is your neighbor? Jesus gives us this parable 
of the Good Samaritan to answer the question, who is your neighbor? And what he does is he takes this man's question and turns it around. If you would be so kind, look in your Bibles at verse 29. And he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Verse 36. So which of these three do you think was neighbor? See, the man sits down and says, Okay, who are the people that I should love? The guy that lives to the houses right next to me, but the guy across the street... Jesus says, are you a neighbor? Instead of you looking to see who is neighbor, are you neighbor? The purpose of the parable is to point this individual to his question so that he realizes that he's not neighbor. Let me ask you, beloved, if you put yourself in the seat of the Good Samaritan, can you say with honesty, would you do that? If you saw someone beaten, would you stop? Would you bandage their wounds? Give them oil and wine. Put them in your own vehicle. Drive them to a hotel. Stay with them the night. Pay for the bill in the days to come. Maybe for a family member. Maybe for a close friend. I will be honest. Whether it shames me or not, I will be honest with you. I would not do that for someone I don't know. For a stranger. I do not love my neighbor quite that much. And that in is the purpose of the parable. This expert of the law comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus answers, you know the law. Well, I'm good on that first part. I love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. I'm set. But that neighbor part, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And instead of just answering it, Jesus gives a parable to cut to the heart of the man. Paul has something similar to say this. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 7, otherwise we're going to have it on the overhead. I'm going to read verses 9 and 10 this morning. Paul's writing to the church at Rome in light of the gospel. And he says this, Once I was alive apart from the law, but then the commandments came, and sin sprang to life, and I died. I find that the very commandments that were intended to bring me life actually brought me death. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Rome and he's telling them, you know, there was a time that I went to the Bible and I said, you know what? I want to inherit eternal life. I want to know at the end of the road that I get to go to heaven. So I'm going to pick this Bible up. I'm going to read it. I'm going to do everything it says. And Paul says, the more and more I read this Bible, the more and more I died. The less and less I found life in the Bible because he's looking at the commandments. And he's hearing things. And he's connecting all the dots. And he realizes that the more he learns, the greater the chasm is between him and God. And that's why he finds Jesus. And then, as you know, Paul, once called Saul, spends his life preaching Jesus. The parable of the Good Samaritan is the same parable as this. It's the same parable as almost every single parable Jesus preaches. There are 30 parables recorded to us in the Gospels. Nearly every single one of them, you could make cases on one or two of them, point to one thing, and that is salvation in Christ alone. Do you love your neighbor? Do you love your neighbor? 
This morning, I don't mean to shame you, but I want to impress on you the importance of studying the Scriptures and looking to Jesus. I'll tell you a cute story. Um, I grew up in church, okay, in and out of church, but I did not come to faith in Christ till I was about 16 years old. Grew up in church, knew all the stories. When I was very, very young, I knew the story of Noah. What did Noah do? Built a big boat, put a whole bunch of animals on the boat. How many of every kind of animal did Noah get on the boat? Two, right? I grew up. I was a kid. Two animals. I knew it. I was in youth group. How many animals? Two, two of every animal in youth group. Preacher would preach a sermon on Noah. How many animals? Two of every animal. I was 18 years old. I went to college. Okay? 18 years old. And I said, in college, you know what I'm going to do? I believe in Jesus. You know what I'm going to do? In college, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to read the whole Bible. It's going to be awesome. And I thought, mm, I wonder what I'm going to find when I get kind of halfway through it. You know, see, see what new stuff I learned. I got like six chapters in Genesis, okay? If you know the Bible, that's the first book, all right? Got six chapters in it, and then I realized something profound at 18 years old. Maybe, maybe it's something new to you guys. I found that my entire life up to that point, my Sunday school teachers, my preachers, my parents and grandparents... They all lied to me. Every single one of them just lied. Because I read in the Bible where he said, you need to have two of every kind of animal. I was like, yep, I heard that. And then I read just a little bit further and it said, oh, but of the clean animals, make sure you have seven. And I went, what? Ain't no, nobody ever preached that in church. Kind of one of those things you do the double take. No, I got the wrong version. There are times, beloved, that the world will pull Scripture out for us to educate us, to persuade us, to let us know that they're good people. But it's not quite right. I'm sure some of you have heard the parable of the Good Samaritan and the point that people are getting across is this. You need to be nice. You need to be a good person. Give to people. Give to charity. You just need to be nice. And while that is biblical... There is scripture that says we need to have compassion, we need to give to the needy, we need to give to the widows, we need to give to the orphans. The parable of the Good Samaritan shows us one thing, that we're not adequate enough, that we need Jesus. Amen. That's good stuff right there. Adam, I want to thank you again for filling in for me. I hope you all enjoyed having Adam uh, share with you this week on our podcast. I know I am, uh, like I said, and I just am so grateful that he was able to do that for my wife and I. Hey, we're encouraging you to join us next week as we continue in our series on emotions. Uh, Jesus felt many emotions and anger was one of them. And so join us as we talk about how Jesus dealt with anger himself. We'll talk to you soon. If you'd like to know more about Venture Podcast or Chandler Acres Church, or if you'd like to support this ministry, please visit us at chandleracreschurch.com.